0: The Gym Day Podcast is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone.
1: Now, batting number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Gym Day Podcast.
0: All right, how are we doing out there, people? Thanks for tuning in to this here old podcast. And once in a while, I mean, we've had, we've had a pretty good run here for a little itty-bitty regional podcast. Had a good run, had some good guests. And once in a while, we're going to uh, look back on what they would call best-of editions. And on this edition, we're going to combine some interviews that I did from that magical 1990 season. It's about the 1990 season, I should say. No, I didn't do the interview in 1990. That would have been quite the foreshadowing. Uh, excuse me, you got time for an interview for a podcast I'm going to do 30 years from now. No? Podcast? No. Well, just wait. You'll see what it is. But here we are. We're going to look back on my interviews with Dibble, Braggs, Browning, Oliver, and and even some Marty Brenneman sprinkled in at the end. And all these guys have great things to talk about and great things to say because you've heard me talk about this on the podcast, and it's nothing new in Reds country that knows the 1990 team. It was full of characters. It was full of antics. It was filled with great players. It was, I don't want to say an out-of-nowhere season, but certainly... Coming from out of nowhere in the playoffs, no one gave them a chance, but they went wire to wire, beat the Pirates in the NLCS, and then at the time, the Oakland A's were world beaters. They were the reigning world champions, and everyone's like, they're going to roll over the Reds. And if anyone had talked about a sweep of the series before the World Series that year, they would have said, oh, well, if it's a sweep, it's going to be the A's sweeping the Reds. Well, no, it was the Reds sweeping the A's. It was a great season to be a Reds fan. So, this will be fun. It's like 1990 and the stuff we've done on this podcast all rolled into one for you with Dibble, Brags, Browning, Oliver, and Marty B. Hope you enjoy the look back here on the Jim Day podcast. He is a member of the 1990 World Championship Cincinnati Reds, a nasty boy. And one of the most exciting pitchers I've ever seen in person, that being Rob Dibble. Rob, how are we doing?
2: We're doing great, Jim. How are you?
0: I am fantastic. You are coming uh, to us from your home in Connecticut, correct?
2: Yes. Yes. Middlebury, Connecticut.
0: Well, there were uh, more unwritten rules in baseball back then than there certainly are now. And one instance that, I don't know, Rob, it, it just cracks me up when I see the video. And it was one of the favorite things that I've ever seen on a baseball field is when you threw the ball at Desenzo. Sorry to laugh about it, but it just, it just cracks me up. Um, And, you know, you had a little bit of a temper and maybe the temper got the best of you, but what, what ticked you off that, that game?
2: All right. So that, that's the Andre Dawson game where he, he loses his mind. Yeah. So. Um, Andre Dawson got kicked out of that game, and it was already just a, an absolute—you know—it was nuts. It was nuts. So I was warming up to just get some work in. So I was—I was standing on the mound for a long, long time. So I was—I was, I was kind of not in my right mind anyway. And now I get in the game, and I'd come off a, a suspension for the Eric Yelding fight that we had with the Astros. And so I hadn't pitched in, in almost a week, and so I get in the game first guy hits a double next guy hits a double pass ball guy goes to third and uh and and you know what guys have done career-wise off of you going into the game i mean the one thing that yeah you know, everybody talks about stats and all this other stuff today analytics i mean we were doing that stuff when i played and and there was a sheet up in the dugout you know on, on what everybody in the cubs lineup did off of every pitcher especially the bullpen so that you would know Hey, this guy's lifetime, you know, like, you know, three for six off of you. Or this guy is like, you know, six for 10 off of you. Or, you know, Desenzo at the time was five for five off of me. And uh, with a couple of doubles. And and so when he squared up the bun to suicide squeeze a guy in, that just that changed everything for me. I was like, are you kidding me? You, you own me. And you're going to freaking lay down a suicide squeeze. So, yeah, I was pissed. That, that guy had that was just kind of like you're trying to rub my nose in this this bad outing that I'm having and you're trying to embarrass the team at the same time instead of just standing up there and swing the bat and you know yeah it was it was stupid but that honestly I don't regret that one I regret not drilling the dude in the back I hit him in the leg is my own my own poor aim. But, uh, no, because I, you know what, the one thing I never did, I never showed guys up. I never like pumped my fist when I punched guys out. I struck out a lot of guys, you know, that, oh, yeah. and, but that was just business. You know, um, you know, I, I want to get my team off the field so they can score some runs and we can win the game. It, I really had a simplified, uh, approach to what I did. And so when somebody kind of, you know, did some stupid crap like that, or tried to injure one of my teammates, I, I really took offense to that. Now, could you do that today? No. But when I played, you, you didn't show up your opponent. And, you know, and, and yeah, I apologize to the guy. He actually, you know, came to the, the hotel bar that night wanted to fight. Really? So I was like, dude, I, I'll give you the first punch. Go ahead, hit me. You know, but, you know, my teammates were standing there and stuff like that. And he said, like, well, I'm, why'd you do it? I'm like, it's not personal. You know, it could have been anybody that had done that it just happened to be him
0: he came to the right? hotel bar
2: oh yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely i have a lot of respect that he did that too
0: i was gonna <laughs> say right that's the, that's large right
2: into the lion's den to challenge me
0: so it was pretty funny wow unbelievable yeah. I-, I loved your reaction you know when the umpire <laughs> threw you out and then lou came out like what what he's just Ball slipped away. That's
2: right. Ball (laughs) slipped. I mean, but then when you break down the video, I ran like about 10
0: feet. You did. You made sure that you (laughs) ran over into the baseline so you had, you know, a a better chance of hitting him or made it easier to hit him.
2: And I still missed him.
0: Well, you kind of threw it on the run a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Where did the nasty boy's name come from?
2: Came from Houston the first trip. Um, and someone asked Randy about how good the bullpen was. And in, in his Randy Myers type of way, he was like, oh, man, they're nasty. Uh, you know, Tim Leona had a knuckle curve. And Tim Burtz has had, you know, great command and a big curveball. Uh, you know, Norm had his fourth ball and he threw in the 90s. But remember, Norm was a starter to start that year. Yeah. Um. So then, you know, and then he would be he he would be glowingly nice about me and stuff like that. But Randy was Randy was badass. He was amazing. He had impeccable command. Nobody nobody could, you know, hit the outside corner like he could. Um so you know, he was trying to be unselfish and, and be flattering as a new guy on the team coming over from the Mets. And, you know, in his way he was like, ah yeah, they're all nasty. You know, so that's kind of where that's where the nasty boy thing came from then when you put norman there and it became the three-headed monster um that that's where it took off then they somebody made t-shirts then we did some posters for charity and sold them at kroger's and uh you know it helped me do some of the stuff i was doing off the field with the citizens against substance abuse and um but you know in his unselfish way randy was the one who started the whole thing
0: you know, there's the Big Red Machine, and they're obviously revered in, in Cincinnati, but a lot of people that were, were either too young or not born yet that are Reds fans. So the 1990 team is their Big Red Machine. Do you kind of get that a lot? Like, hey, man, you guys were my team.
2: Well, the, the thing that I love, Tim, is that when people will say, you know, you made a lot of memories for us or, you know, me and my dad or, you know, me and my family and stuff like that, that's what it was all about. I mean, the greatest thing for me as a player was to play on a team of, of so many great men and and so many great players. I mean, my entire team was fantastic. And, and I think people, uh, you know, may give the nasty boys too much credit or, uh, you know, downplay the greatness of the team. But when you look around the entire team, they were fantastic from top to bottom. And and so we didn't have any holes and it was fun to play on, but when people remember it, and it was a, a big part of their life, that makes me feel good because we we created memories, uh, we we gave you know people things to uh, cherish for for many many years, and uh, that that to me is 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 as powerful as the championship itself. Because to me, your job is to win championships. That that's what you were getting paid for. And, and what you are as a baseball player. But there's also a part of you that's supposed to grow the game and grow it for other generations
3: and uh, and be entertaining.
0: Mr. Glenn Braggs, welcome to the show. How are you doing, Glenn?
3: I'm doing fantastic, my friend. How about yourself?
0: I am good, uh, as well good. as can be expected, as we all try to manage through this uncertain time and right. uh, taking it day by day, which is, I guess, all we can do um 1990 uh the interesting thing about your story is that you didn't come over to the reds to what june so what was it like they were obviously in first place a uh, bunch of characters on that team and then all of a sudden a uh, new guy shows up what was it like for you
3: obviously when i got called into manager tom Treblehorn's office and he told me that i'd been traded i was disappointed because I was going to be leaving a lot of my, uh, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, teammates and friends, guys who i would gotten relationships with throughout my, uh, my, my professional career. So when I asked him which team that I had gotten traded to, when he said the Cincinnati Reds, I had to do everything in my power to resist, like just saying, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I got traded to the Reds." Oh, it was it was awesome. So then, obviously, you know, Milwaukee, we weren't doing so well that year. And a uh, guy that got the chance to play for the Reds for a little bit, Greg Vaughn, was just coming up, and uh, you know, he was um, doing very well. And uh, I basically had become expendable at that point. Uh, Reds needed that uh, that that extra outfielder, and the Dodgers. I mean, uh, and the uh, Brewers needed a pitcher, so it was just a, a win-win situation for everyone. Then when I got called over, I got called, you know, into the clubhouse. Man, it was, it was like I had just been there all along because these guys, uh, they they accepted me right off the bat. Um, they were seemed like a, a much younger group of guys than it was with uh, Milwaukee, so I was able to bond with them pretty quickly, and my main thing coming over was just to make sure that I didn't mess things up because they was already, you know, they'd already been in first place and already established themselves. I just wanted to be that extra guy to be a part of it all. And just to keep the wheels, you know, to keep the ball rolling. So um, it, it was, it was great. It was fantastic. Uh, dream come true for me. It was what, you know, the, the best team probably top to bottom, even though we didn't have superstars, you know, we had Larkin and, uh, and Davis, and and guys like that but we 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 probably the one of the best complete teams that I have ever played on for sure
0: 100%. How often I, mean, I I'm sure you're you're in California now coming to us from <laughs> California and you're a California yeah. guy. Um yeah. I'm not sure how much you're round Reds fans anymore. I know we've seen you at a few vet, events here and there but can you go when someone talks baseball and they talk the 1990 season is there any way around bringing up you robbing Carmelo Martinez, possible home run uh, against the Pirates in the National League Championship Series, and one of just the huge plays? And when you look back at the 1990 season in the playoffs, that's always in the highlight reel. How yeah. often is it brought up to you?
3: You know what, it is. It's brought up a lot, but I have to be honest with you. The thing that they bring up more than that is the broken bat in the World Series. I mean, people are so blown away by that. It's like unbelievable. But, yeah, when uh, when we talk about the National League Championship Series, that was, I think, the capper to the plays that Lark made at short, O'Neal in right field, Davis making that unbelievable. I, it was almost like he materialized in center field on the ball that Bonilla hit and just threw a laser to third base to get Bonilla out. Um, just all of the plays that had accumulated throughout that series. I mean, we, we had great pitching, we had clutch hitting, but I think the thing that, that stands out the most is those defensive plays that were made that just changed the series Yeah, in my opinion. And that was kind of like the capper Biggest play, obviously, of my career, and um, you know, it is. Uh, it, it's still one of those things that I talk about, obviously, when I when I'm talking with fans, and and people are telling me <clears throat> almost every fan. I don't know how. I don't know what the population is of Cincinnati or or uh, in that general area, but it seems like everyone I've talked to that they were at that game <laughs> when I made that <laughs> <game>. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, everybody keeps telling me that they were there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Browning's yeah. no-hitter
0: in 88, which came after a lengthy rain delay, and there were right, a few right. thousand fans left, but there were like 50 to 100,000 fans that claimed they were there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but exactly. For those that don't know that are listening, it was the ninth inning, game six. Reds had a 2-1 lead. Carmelo Martinez a drive to right, and you robbed him of a possible home run, and it even – when they write the stories, it says "possible home run," and that's I know, been
3: I know, one of the big debates.
0: You know, right. you know. Oh yeah. one uh, yeah. of the big debates? So I'm gonna ask you straight out: Would would it have been a home run?
3: It was. It was the home run. It would have definitely been a home run for sure, without a doubt. I, I always laugh when they say possible. Yeah. But hey, you know it's it's um I, when you look at it, you know I'm I'm already playing deep because we're we're playing no doubles you got a fast guy at, at first base, Barry Bonds. Um, a ball hitting down the line or in the gap, there's a pretty good chance we're going to have to make a play at the plate. So we're playing, date, we're playing deep. We want to we protect that, that, um, that, that one-run lead. So I'm already, I'm already back. Carmelo is a guy that likes to hit the opposite way. I think earlier in the game, I think he had a double that way. Um, and so we're, we're shaded that way. Every, you know, The defense is set up the way it's supposed to be. The pitcher – uh Myers is throwing exactly the way he needs to pitch um Carmelo and so we're you know I'm anticipating a ball coming my way and so when he hits that ball I just all I wanted to do was just try to get back as as quick as I could so that I could see if I had an opportunity I thought it was I thought it was going to be you know long gone but um when I got back to the wall and I saw that I could catch it I was able to get up get my my glove up over the wall. You can see when I caught the ball over the wall, it was definitely a home run. And uh, so then my thought after I caught the ball was to make sure that I got the ball back in quickly so that bonds didn't try to tag. Right. So, you know, so that, that's basically how it played out, you know, but um, it was definitely a home run and no one else is going to be able to tell me any different.
0: (laughs) Well, here's the thing with, with the runner on, even if that hits off the wall and you don't catch it, they're tying the game, so no question. About it was it. a game-saving catch, regardless.
3: Yeah. No, no question about it. Like I said, Bonds, Bonds, one of the fastest guy in the league. Yeah, and uh, so if that ball, even if it's a, even if it's a double, somewhere, like I said, there's gonna be a play at the plate. They're sending them, you know. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, so that's it's it's a uh, it's one of the it's obviously you know one of the biggest plays of my career, but certainly. I think it just capped off a series of amazingly uh, aggressive and great defensive plays throughout that series. Clutch hitting, um, and, and, liter- and and when you think about it, we played that series the way we played the entire season. I think we were one of the top defensive teams in the league that year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of the best. Um, you know. Uh, pitching staff, so we, had, you know, obviously with the with the nasty boys and the guys that we had in our starting rotation. Um, and you know, we listen, we we weren't afraid, and we knew what we could play. You know, we knew that we could play, we knew that no one gave us a chance in that series. and um, and so um, we felt like we knew the pirates were a tough team. We knew that the A's were a tough team, but we were good too. And, and I think that that was probably our superpower was the fact that people were underestimating us and um and so um when we when we were when we when we beat the pirates we felt like man that series right there could have been considered the world series yeah because it was yeah, a great series and then um we got then we get into the series after that so um you know it was just a we played that series against the pirates the way we had played consistently the whole season
0: when you broke the bat on your backswing in the World Series. Mm-hmm. Well, you were facing Dave Stewart, right? Uh, yeah. I think it was the first pitch, and you swung so hard that the bat broke on your follow through, which I think I'm sure happened more than the World Series. But the fact that it happened in the World Series, it was so magnified.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe I think it was a two zero count, to be honest.
0: Okay. So. Yeah. I well. think,
3: and 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 uh, and I believe so. When I play it back in my mind. I just remember, you know, Davis getting hurt. I was the leadoff hitter that next inning. So Davis was going to be the leadoff hitter the next inning. So I had to really prepare myself. I had faced Stewart a lot when I was in the American League. So I knew how he liked to pitch me. So I knew – he he challenged me all the time. I mean, he would just – let's see if you can hit it. He was one of those type of guys. And so I knew when I got the count in my favor, he was going to – you know, he was going to challenge me. And when I, when the pitch came, I think I had such a high amount of adrenaline going through my body that I just, I swung as hard as I could. And, um, and then I, when I swung through the pitch, I you can look at the swing, my swing dipped a little bit and it went a little bit, just went right under the ball. And, um, and so I, when I go through and my follow through, the bat hits my back, and as I'm beginning to whip it back around, that's when it snaps. And <clears throat> the the interesting part about that whole scenario is when you listen to uh, Tim McCarver and Jack Buck as they're introducing me. And they were talking the about. Wait, that's exactly right. It's almost as if they were setting it up. Yeah, and uh, they were talking so, about you
0: coming to the play. Well, here right. comes Glenn Braggs. Exactly.
3: A- big exactly. strong I, dude yeah and he says something like he's built more like fort Bragg's or something like that and i actually have <laughs> someone made a made a jersey <clears throat> that said fort Bragg's on it and um oh that's I beautiful. Posted it. yeah i posted it on my uh facebook a few days ago but um <clears throat> but that's kind of the 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 setup it was almost <laughs> like it was it was set up because of the way they were talking about me as i was coming up and then um and then that happened but yeah I had done it a couple of times during the season with the Reds, and I did it a lot when I was in, in Milwaukee. Um, but it just wasn't on the national stage level right. like it was in the World Series. So, a lot of people, like even I've had people come to me and and when they when they when they uh, heard that they were going to do what the Reds were going to do at the bobblehead they said, is it going to be the broken bat? <laughs> you know, they were like, they wanted the broken, they wanted it on the broken
4: back. Yeah. You know.
3: <laughs> so, yeah. So it's like one of those type of, uh, one of those, obviously another one of those things, I guess, if you could be remembered by something, I guess you might as well be remembered by that. Right. You Heck know? yeah. So, it's just exactly.
0: pure brute strength of a man. <laughs> How thankful are you that that moment happened that catch because, um some guys can as years goes on and there's you know thousands of mlb players and even though that was the last world championship the reds have won and every member of that team is just revered in reds country but you had that moment that people remember whereas if Mm -hmm. that didn't happen you're just kind of a guy on the team but you're amongst the highlight of that season and those playoffs. How thankful are you that you had that? I hate to use this, but one shining moment where you right, had that yeah. moment that defined you.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like uh, Joe Oliver's double down the, yeah. down the line, to, you know. So it's like those are the, those are the things that kind of um, you know that that extend, you know, go through time and you know, and people will go back and able and are able to see as as kind of like those big moments in a series. And it's, I'm grateful and thankful for that. Um, I always kind of chuckle because, you know, I wasn't really known as a great defensive guy, but I'm known as making one of the, the best defensive plays in, you know, in Red's history. So, um, so it's, it's, I, I think it's, I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for it. Um, I, I just think it was, you know, it's, One of those situations where, and I actually had this question posed to me about a couple of weeks ago, and they said, you know, what would have, who would you be, uh, how would they see you if you had not caught that ball, (laughs) you know? So it's like, you know, that's the the one thing I don't want to think about. I'm glad I was able to make the play. You know, I'm glad I was oh. able to make the play. I know, right? I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> exactly. Pirates come back and win the game, and then they win exactly. game seven. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. So um, so I'm thankful for it and grateful I was able to make the play and that we were able to continue the series on into the World Series. Do you stay oh, in yeah. touch
0: with uh, any of the former guys at all?
3: Um, I'm, I'm in touch with them, like, social media-wise. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really – we're all doing our own thing. And, mm-hmm. and typically if we, you know, like I, I still do the reds. I've been doing the rest fantasy camp for the last five years. Right. And uh, so I get a chance to see a lot of the guys when I'm doing that time. And we get to hang out a little bit. In fact, it's this past fantasy camp. I got to coach. So they, you know, uh, you should, I'm pretty sure how, you know, how it works. They usually have about yeah. 12 pros. Um, and, uh, and, there's two coaching each team. And, um, so I got to coach with Ron Robinson to, uh, this past, uh, January. Yep. And he, he and I got traded for each other. So, yeah, yeah, so we, we were, you know, we always like, when I would see him at different functions, we would always laugh about it is the guy I got traded for, et cetera. But we got to coach today uh, together this, uh, this, uh, uh, winter during the uh, fantasy camp. It was kind of cool. He's a great guy. I love him.
0: Yeah, he is. He is a good. There's <clears throat> no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah,
3: so I get a chance to see those guys. Hal, Hal Morris is down there, and Hatcher and Winningham, mm-hmm. and all those guys are down there. So it's really cool.
0: Do you sometimes look back and just kind of laugh at when you think about a certain player and certain memories, where you just kind of giggle? Uh,
3: I mean, all of them. I mean, you know, like uh you know, Sable was a character, yeah. man. I mean. And so was like Myers, Randy Myers was (laughs) a character, you know, Jack Armstrong was a character. I mean, you know, every, like Louis, uh, um, um, what is it? Oh my gosh. Uh, Quinones. Yeah. Quinones, man. Oh my God. The naked dancer after wins. Yeah, man. Quinones was a blast, man. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So yeah, we, we had some characters on that team and fun. Most, most fun I've ever had. And like I said, probably the best, team talent wise top to bottom that i think i've played for you know mariano duncan and you know and morris and o'neill and hatcher you know davis larkin sable you know oliver all of these guys man i mean amazing players um and we just were able to put it all together in that one season and uh take it all the way to the championship.
5: Hey, Reds fans, Ritz crackers, one of America's favorite cracker brands, has new Ritz cheese crispers that are bound to be a crowd pleaser for you and your family. The unique combination of real rich cheese and the crispy texture make these chips a must. These light bite-sized airy chips come in two delicious flavors, cheddar and four cheese on earth. Ritz cheese crispers are made with real rich cheese flavor that you can taste in every bite. They will defy your expectations for a delicious cheesy snack. Get your new Ritz cheese crispers at Kroger.
0: Tom Browning, welcome to the Gym Day Podcast.
5: Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> is this a first? This is very first ever. Well, I remember in 90 when we uh, – I'll always remember this because Lou was so good with his words. He was so articulate. You know, he was uh, – we were we, we were struggling. We, we clenched the division, okay, and so we had to play out the string. We weren't playing very well, and uh, he decided to have a meeting uh because we were about a week away from going to the playoffs mm-hmm. and he and he and the one thing I remember says we will not be going into the playoffs in a losing posture you know which I just thought was awesome but he was very he was teary-eyed when he talked about it because he cared you know yeah. that was all oh, it was awesome it was oh he did some wonderful things you know i mean i could uh when he kicked the turkey we we got beat oh that might have been that year because we had a rain delay and and back then bernie had this guy george and i don't remember his last name It was a greek name but he was from the west side and he cooked the greatest turkey he had the greatest potatoes you know with sour cream whatever mixed in it it was just awesome so we come in for the first rain delay and all you could do is smell that
0: food yeah
5: you know and the game we, and we went back out and played had another rain delay kate we had to go back out you know and by then you know we're, we're like you know what we, i don't care about winning this game we'll let him have this game we're ready we want to eat that turkey So we get done with the game. We end up losing. They call the game. Uh, We end up losing in eight innings, whatever it was. And so we go in there, and everybody's in there getting turkey and stuff. And Lou Pinella comes in. And I know Billy Hatcher was sitting there with a plate waiting to to get food. And he's just sitting there. And Lou Pinella comes in. He says, how can you want to eat this time? And after watching that, whatever he said, I don't know what swear word it was. Mm -hmm. And he kicked the turkey. Okay? And it just blows up. And a leg lands right on Hatcher's plate. <laughs> and I think Hatcher's like, what do I do here now? So he ended up making us leave. And we left. We didn't get to eat. So we And, and then Randy Myers, and, and uh, that was 91. And Randy Myers and Carmelo Martinez snuck back in there and were, they were grabbing some of the turkey and stuff. And he went in there and saw him and yelled at him and kicked him out.
0: But uh, And you guys had, I mean, not only great baseball players, and the results speak for themselves, but. A lot of characters oh, on that yeah.
5: team. Oh, I mean. that bullpen we had? <laughs> yeah. That, uh, we had Dibble and Myers and Charlton. You know, and Norm was probably the filthiest of the three. Randy was their, our closer. Dibs and, and Norm were the setup guys. Uh, but that was the beginning, I think. Uh, that was the very first, uh, I think, first time you ever saw what we call the three-headed monster. Yeah. You know, I think the Royals kind of did it when they wanted mm-hmm. that one year. But, I mean, that was – you know the tough thing for a starting pitcher with that team was if you got in any tr- into any trouble after the six, you know you were out of there Done. because we had those guys. You know, so uh, but we did. We had characters. We had we had a good group of guys that enjoyed being around one another. We would go out after games on the road in packs. We wouldn't go out with a couple guys. We'd go out with seven or eight guys you know we'd go take over bars or or ice cream parlors i guess more than more than bars but you know we enjoyed being around one another and we really enjoyed playing the game we you know we pulled for everybody Mm -hmm. uh louis quinones i don't know if you remember him he was one of the characters he didn't like to wear clothes in a clubhouse he used to chase guys yeah you know but louis was an awesome guy in fact louis quinones and myself and barry larkin all share the same birthday uh which was kind of neat uh But we had characters, and we had guys that uh, we had Jack Armstrong, you know, who was in the first half of that year the best pitcher in baseball.
0: Was incredible that first half. Yeah,
5: and then he kind of ran out of gas the second half. And uh, but we had enough, you know, we had enough lead. And you know, there was a couple times where uh, we could hear the Dodgers Mm coming. The Giants were on our tail a little bit. I think that somebody got to within three games. But uh, you know, that was just a, a magical year. It went by so fast. But it's probably my my favorite year that I ever played uh and and to, uh, obviously winning the world series was you know that was our ultimate goal and that was that was cool but the world series went by really fast too
0: randy myers um well he's showing up in fatigues he's bringing hey, hey. <laughs> is that your, is that your randy that's myers? randy hey guys
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he was we call him the soldier of fortune you know and he was he bought this damn zap gun you know that that thing used to hold that had the electricity between two nodes yeah. thing. and i know you could ask rick stowe because rick was right there too and i you know my locker wasn't near randy's but i was real close when i when it happened but randy was playing with this thing and lou Pinello walked by and he says what you got there randy goes oh i got all these ray guns zap gun whatever and he zapped him hit him on he the th- oh he knocked him on his ass oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah Wulu well, went down and he said jesus christ randy he said well you asked me what it was so
0: Well, you're known as Mr. Perfect. You're known as, you know, Reds Hall of Famer. Um, Also known as the world, the guy in the World Series whose wife was having a baby, and you had to get you back to the stadium, which is well that
5: that just that was just so goofy. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, she was she was. you know, eight and a half, nine, almost yeah. ready to go. What um, was that, game?
0: Game two. Two, yeah.
5: You know, And I'm sitting in the dugout, you know, and she was at the game uh, with, with her best friend from across the street and her husband, and uh, I'm just, you know, sitting in the dugout, and Rick Stowe comes up in the seventh inning and says, Tom, your wife's in labor. She's going to the hospital. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, she's going to drive herself to the hospital. I said, oh, hell. I said, I'm out of here then. I'm gone. So yeah. So I knew, Rick knew where I was going.
0: Because you were starting game three, three. The first game out there in, in Oakland. In Oakland, yeah. yeah.
5: So I said, I'm out of here. So I ran out to the parking lot. And sure enough, she was in the uh, at the car getting ready to get in. And I said, oh, I got you, I got you. So I went and I got in the driver's seat and she got in the passenger seat. And, and I drove her straight to the hospital. I didn't turn the radio on. I just drove. I mean, all I could think about was, God, I don't have the baby in the car, you know. Not knowing that the doctor said, well, we can delay the, you know, the. the uh, right. Right. We can delay it until the game's over, blah blah blah, whatever. But she didn't tell me any of that stuff. So uh, anyway, I get to the hospital. And I'm in the waiting room, you know, and there's people walking by me, and I'm in my uniform, full in uniform, full uniform. From a you, World know, Series you know, game. they're probably thinking, "What a fan that guy is," you know. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, a receptionist comes over and says, "Mr. Browning, there's some people on the on the phone that are looking for you." And I, and I said, "You know what? They're probably wanting to know if I had a boy or girl." I said, "Don't even tell them I'm here." Uh, and she said, okay. And she walked away. So then we had to go up to the, the, it's called the birthing place. I think it's at St. East South over there in Edgewood. Uh, we go up there and the doctor says, uh, he says, Tom, well, she had to have a C-section because Tucker was, it was my son, Tucker. He was previa placenta. So he had to have a C-section and he said, we got to apply an epidural. Uh, why don't you go on the doctor's lounge and watch the game while we're prepping her? He said, it'd be about 20 minutes. I said, okay. So I go on the doctor's lounge and I no longer was sitting on that couch. And on the TV is one guy, Tim McCarver, only. And it and it's like, well, he was talking to me, but it looked like he knew I was on the other side of that television watching. He said, Tom, if you're watching, he said, they need you to come back to the ballpark. They need you to pitch.
4: I'll tell you something else has transpired in this ballpark in this ballpark that is unbelievable. Tom Browning, who is slated for the start in game three, as you see Bill Bates, he'll be the pinch hitter for Rob Dibble. We just learned that Tom Browning earlier left the ballpark. His wife went into labor. The Reds clubhouse called up to Marty Brenneman, the local radio announcer here in Cincinnati. He's been doing Reds baseball for 17 years, asking Marty to make a public announcement and tell Tom. There's Marty right there to the left of your screen, and tell Tom Browning to return to the ballpark. And Marty, Marty Brennan made that announcement because Lou Pinella might be out of pitcher, and he may be thinking of using Tom Browning in
5: the game tonight.
4: I've never heard of anything that unusual happen in
5: a ball game. I'm just staring at him. I'm like, how does he know? I'm like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> you know, I was kind of in a panic, and I said, Oh my God, what? What? Uh, you know, because I'm thinking I'm pitching game three that, you know, but again, they were going extra innings and I didn't know. And, and then about, you know, probably 10 minutes later, I guess, into the, you know, they started the inning and, and Billy Bates gets a second base. Joe Oliver hits a ball down the left field line and Billy Bates comes home to score. And about as soon as Billy Bates tunched, touched home plate, the door flew up and the doc said, okay, we're ready. And I said, oh, cool. We just won. So I was pretty excited about it, you know. And uh, so the next day, we get on the plane to go to oakland and i run into lou and you know he said hey man we were trying to find you and i said "Ah, you know i i I know that now i said but at the time i said there was no way i could have left leave my wife while we're having a baby i said she'd have severed some probably extensions on me so uh i said i couldn't leave and i thought well if we you know if if tucker was born and and they were all settled in and everything and the game was still going on you bet i would have went back but uh there was no way I was going to go back until till the birth of my son came in
0: so Joe Oliver saved you. He
5: did, he did. He saved me more than a couple times. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. Joe Oliver, how we doing? Great Jim, how you doing? I am fantastic. I couldn't be better, especially sitting across from you. Do you have a go-to loose stories that crack people up? <laughs> boy how, how long's your podcast <laughs> well unfortunately we're at reds fest and we're under a time constraint i could talk seriously joe i could talk to you all night all day and i think the listeners would love this but at limited time but we have enough time for some blue stories we always got time for that <laughs> uh one of one of the favorite ones is
6: uh rob dibble was pitching and eric yelding was was uh with the astros and he gets on first base and it's a one-run game and Lou comes out there, you know, he's got his jacket on, his hands in his pocket and he he's adjusting his hat front and back as he's walking out there and he's trying to figure out what he's going to say and he he tells Dibs, "You got to give Joe a chance to throw yelling out here. He's going to steal second base." And Rob said, "Screw that. You know, I'm a, I'm just going to I'm a, I'm going to strike the next guy's out." And Lou turns around and he goes, "You got to give him a chance to throw this guy out. It's a tie and run." He goes back to the dugout. Next pitch, Eric Gilding steals second base because Rob was about a 2-5 to the plate. Right. And Lou comes back out there again. And he goes, Rob, you got to hold him at second base. He's going to take third. And Rob hands him the ball. And he goes, what are you doing? He goes, Lou, that's your second trip. <laughs> 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 and there was nobody warming up in the bullpen. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> there was nobody in the pen. <laughs> and, you know, Old Riverfront, the bullpen was the end of the bench. Right, yeah, right there. And you saw everybody who was sitting out there, there was a bullpen guy, running and hiding because they knew they had eight pitches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And here goes Dibble walking off the field and Lou's just, like, got his arm fingers out pointing and Tim Leana was the only See, guy standing. Was he was you. standing. I was going to ask you who was the... and, and It was oh. like somebody stepped on an anthill and they just took off. <laughs> but you know just things like that with with him i mean he he's he's such a beauty and yeah he's got so much good in his heart and passion for baseball right. and and he, he doesn't do anything that uh that that that's gonna hurt you yeah he just wants to make you better
0: marty brenman welcome back to the Jim day podcast thank you very much jim you know, you love the Big Red Machine, but you told us on earlier editions of the podcast that uh, 1990 was your favorite team. Favorite team. And yeah. the final out, I mean, I you know, <laughs> yeah. Benzinger backing and calling, and, you know, people memorize your calls, and uh, here indeed it is.
1: The pitch is hit in the air. Foul, off first. Benzinger backing and calling. And the 1990 World Championship belongs to the Cincinnati Reds. The Cincinnati Reds have done the absolute improbable by defeating the club considered to be the best in Major League Baseball, and they've done it in a four-game series sweep. Yeah,
0: I mean, right there in a short clip, you encaps—you know—later years, you know exactly what happened. Yeah, telling the story in a very short clip spontaneously when it actually happened.
1: Well, I'm—you so. um, know—it's—it it, uh, it was so unexpected, and and you know, you go back to the first game and. And uh, Eric hits a home run off Dave Stewart in the first inning to straightaway center, which energized the club. And then, and then uh, Joe Oliver had the base hit off Eckersley that just eluded Carney Lansford at third base, scoring uh, Billy Bates in in extra innings of the game too. The night we made the plea on the air for Tom Browning and right, um, and then they go to Oakland. In game three, Mike Moore pitches for the A's, and Chris Sabo hits two home runs off of him. And then game four to clinch it and Rijo retires 20 of the last 21 batters he faces, and he won that game two to one. I mean, it was amazing. Game two, Joe Oliver in extra innings. Joe had that call and used, and this one belongs to the Reds. That's it. But he opened the door for me. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. Did I say it? Or did he no, say he it? No, he said it. That's right. That. And there were a handful of games in the 31 years that he and I worked together when he would say it. Yeah. But uh, And he did say it that night, and um, – you know, he, Joe. Joe had certain moments, and I was thrilled. He had that call. He had the bench home run. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnny Bench night. Um, and and it was it was a great World Series, especially when you consider that they defeated the team managed by Mister Baseball. I mean, you know, that being Tony Larusa, your guy. Yes. So it was especially nice. <laughs>
0: Speaking of Lupinella, I think people would be surprised, and tell me if I'm wrong. I think I've asked you before what your favorite team has been. Yes, and, and most people would think that you would say the '75 or '76 Reds. Right. It's the 1990 team, is it not? Correct.
1: Correct. And 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 it was because, I mean, what I don't misunderstand that I still maintain that it's one of the great teams in the history of baseball. That's a 75-76, and I used both of them because you couldn't split the difference right. as far as personnel. Uh, I, I wish we were magical enough to resurrect the 27 Yankees and play a best-of-seven series and see who would win that thing.
0: You did do I that. I did
1: do that, yeah, but that's, a, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. um, but the 90 club one, It was 14 years between world championships. Mm-hmm. I, I, after the third year I was with the club, I thought you were supposed to get a World Series ring every year.
0: You and were a then found out, yeah.
1: And yeah. so when ninety came and they won the whole thing, I, I relished in it. Secondly, um, it had the greatest coaching staff with a wonderful manager of anyone anybody I've ever been around. I love the coaches. Um, I love the players. Uh, I got along well with the players. I think individually and collectively, if I were c- had to be critical during the course of that magical year. Uh, guys understood and no it was never any problem um so that that was my favorite team of all time with the reds and um you know to be to be managed by a guy whose whole career up until that point had been uh spent in the American League and was smart enough to come over surround himself by um national league coaches yeah and sat back and let them run the ball club in spring training until he understood the way the game in the National League was played. He didn't come over here with a lot of – I have all the answers. Nobody can teach me anything. I don't even think he knew how to make a double switch when he took the job. Um, So I – and I immediately hit it off well with him. And uh, we had great times together uh, at the ballpark and away from the ballpark. And um, I – I, to this day, I, I get a warm feeling every time I see him because yeah. I just think he's a wonderful guy. He, I thought he was a great manager, a great manager. He was a guy who wore his emotions on his sleeve. He would turn over tables of food. He would fight players. He would do anything. Um, but the funny thing was Bob Quinn was the general manager, and over the course of that season, every single player on this club, at one time or another, Lou wanted gone including Barry Larkin, including Aaron Davis. He would drive Bob Quinn crazy. He'd call him an after game. He'd say, get him the hell out of here. I don't want to look at him tomorrow. And Bob understood how to deal with Lou, and everything came out fine. But uh, he was special. He was really special. Well, it was a special team with a lot of characters.
0: I mean, you still quote him in broadcasts That's right. today. When, uh...
1: In the words of the inimitable and iconic Lou Piniella, I've seen enough. <laughs>
0: I've seen enough Lou Pinella, sweet Lou. Who doesn't love Lou Pinella, who's a Cincinnati Reds fan? All right, I hope you enjoyed a look back. Best of 1990 here on the Jim Day Podcast. We'll have some further best of episodes in the coming weeks. You never know what to expect here, but we'll be working hard to bring you some Quality audio, as they say. If you'd like to follow along with me on social media, at Jim Day TV on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, once again, thanks for listening. Here on the Jim Day Podcast.